So Arthur Lewis is a very important figure in development economics, although it's fair to say that his best work was done at Manchester. After he left LSE, he engaged much more, I think, with the issues that were of concern to him, which was the question of how do you create capitalist development in what were then colonial or so-called backward or peripheral countries. And particularly in the famous work from the mid-1950s, which was done at Manchester, the famous article from 1945 and the theory of economic growth from 1955, it seems to me that what Lewis did was to take development economics to another level. So at that time, um, people were beginning to ask this question about how we sponsor the capitalist transformation in the periphery. A lot of the thinking was not very formalized. It was written in fairly short articles by people like Rosenstein Radan, also at the University of London. So big push ideas, Geschenkron at Harvard. Perhaps for many of us, the great hero, Albert Hirschman, who took a rather different view of the big push and of punctuated disequilibria. But what Lewis offered, I think, was a more formal model of how it was that you take people from what he considered to be one part of the economy to another part of the economy. So this famously is a dual economy model. It essentially assumes that large numbers of people, by definition, in these economies are in an agricultural sector, a pre-capitalist sector, and that large numbers of those people are not making a significant contribution there, so that their marginal rate of productivity was zero or close to it. If they could be moved to the modern sector of the economy, which was often thought to be the industrial capitalist sector of the economy, there would be not only an upskilling of individual men and women as they move from the countryside to the city, but an increase in productivity and in profits. What's really interesting about Lewis is that many development economists and planners at that time assumed that the state should be central to organising this big push. Lewis, I think, was much ahead of the time in that he saw a central role for entrepreneurs and for the private sector. So the basic assumption was that if the state and the private sector invested in industrialisation in the modern sector of the economy, wage rates would remain low as people came in from the countryside to these urban industrial areas. And for a period, high rates of profit, because wages were kept low, could be reinvested in the industrial sector, which would grow, and in turn that would pull more workers from the countryside to the city. Eventually you reach a sort of Lewisian turning point, at which point the, the economy has become integrated, the space economy has become more balanced and the economy as a whole becomes, as would have been said at that time, modern. When he came to the LSE, as I understand it reading his, the, the main biography of Lewis, economics was focused on what would have been called the advanced industrial countries. Uh, people that were working on the colonial countries, what became the backward countries, the third world, were mainly in anthropology, people like Malinowski and in sociology. And Lewis was interesting in that he was aware of the teaching in those areas and would go to lectures in anthropology and in sociology. So he was perhaps unusual in mixing a very strong formal training in economics. And Lewis was very well trained formally with a more Catholic interest 
in terms of what was going on at the school. He was also familiar with some of the work of the economic historians at that time who were very strong in the school. So he, he was working a lot on industrial revolutions more generally and thinking about the conditions for what Rostow called takeoff or capitalist transformation. I mean, Lewis clearly, when he got to London, had to deal with the fact that he was a black student in London. I mean, it's reported that he was stared at in the street. Uh, his career options, which helped move him towards a PhD at LSE, fortunately for us, were held back because of discrimination in terms of getting access to the colonial uh, civil service uh, in the West Indies. And for me, what's interesting about Lewis is that he whilst he was obviously a first-rate economist who went on to get the Nobel Prize, in London he mixed with uh, an extraordinary group of people that came together at LSE who weren't necessarily students or staff members here. So I'm thinking particularly of C.L.R. James, the Marxist historian, fanatical cricket writer, George Padmore who was one of the leaders of the Pan-Africanist movement. These are known friends of Arthur Lewis and Lewis was clearly thinking about what it was to be a colonial subject, what it was to be a black student in London. He was obviously interested in these questions, but he was, he was forced, I suppose, to put that to one side in terms of the development of his professional career. His legacy to LSE, I think, is, is multidimensional. I mean, first of all, here is the first black academic at LSE, and it's, it, it's sobering to think how many uh, self-reporting uh, black academics are at LSE today. It's a, it's a tiny number, less than the fingers on one of my hands. So whilst he was a pioneer here, I think LSE has still got a long way to go in terms of developing a black faculty. This is an issue across the UK. I think in terms of his contribution to development economics, a lot of it was presumably forged here. I mean, the, the debt that he owes to people like Hayek and Plant and Robbins that I've mentioned before is clear, even though it was largely published at Manchester. That legacy is extraordinary. I mean, development economics came of age in the 1950s. And I think about, out of all of the people at that time, Rosenstein, Rodin, Ragnar Nerkska, uh, Albert Hirschman, Geschenkron at Harvard, Lewis's work, uh, Lewis's work was the most formal of all of those people that I've mentioned. It was a serious account of capitalist transformation.